Pitch three, day one. Hardware. It's notoriously, well, hard. It's expensive to get started. You've got to build all these prototypes. It takes longer than you think to get to market. And when it's time to scale, well, that's hard too. A lot of investors flat out won't invest in hardware, which is why we've been hesitant to bring those companies on the show. But then I met Deval, a founder who wants to turn every home into a smart home without using any smart tech, making it so easy even great-grandpa can do it. It's the moonshot hardware company I've been looking for. Hey, Alexa, will Deval get money on this pitch? Sorry, Josh, you will have to listen to find out. <laughs> Alexa, you're worthless. I'm Josh Muccio, and this is The Pitch, where real entrepreneurs pitch real investors for real money. Hi, I'm Paige Vendorti, founding partner behind Genius Ventures, and welcome to San Diego. Hey, I'm Neil Bloom, managing partner at Analog Capital. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Yin, general partner at Hustle Fund. I'm Mark Phillips, founder of 11 Tribes Ventures. Hi, I'm Charles Hudson, managing partner of Precursor Ventures. The pitch for Lotus is coming up after this. And if you want to watch the video of this pitch, go to pitch.show slash YouTube. New episodes premiere on YouTube Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. The information provided on this show is not intended to be investment advice and should not be relied upon as such. The investors on today's episode are providing their opinions based on their own assessment of the business presented. Those opinions should not be considered professional investment advice. All right. Hi, Deval. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. Pleasure. Nice to hey, Deval. Elizabeth. Nice, nice to meet you. Hi, Deval. I'm Mark. Nice to meet you, Mark. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> Hi, Deval. Paige. Hey, Charles. Nice to meet you, Deval. Pleasure. So, the story starts with me. I was born with twisted knees. And over the years, I've been on and off crutches. Now, one night, a few years ago, I got into bed, having left the hallway lights on. But I was too tired to get out of bed, hop onto my crutches, hobble 10 feet, turn off the light, hobble back 10 feet, and get back into bed. So I slept with the lights on the entire night and woke up in the morning thinking, if someone like me, an engineer, having managed a division at Apple with 37 patents, if I don't even have smart home tech, who does? 91% of US homes were built before smart homes. Even getting an Alexa means rewiring every wall switch to connect to the internet, and pairing every switch one by one through another app. And this disproportionately affects the 27 million people with limited mobility. Soldiers, older adults, disabled persons. So at Lotus, we've built this. That's cool. Nice. A patented wearable ring that controls objects at home by pointing. No apps, no rewiring, no internet. Infrared eliminates the need for apps, smartphones, even internet. 
Today, we can control anything a wall switch controls. Lights, fans, appliances. This is a $335 billion market that's been over 80% untapped even after a decade. And with Lotus, you can go from home to smart home in seconds. And that combination is really resonating with people. We've got 14 pilots in just 30 days. We're here to raise $2 million to go from prototype to product in production, to build a future where there will be a universe of ring-controllable objects, where any person, younger or older, disabled or not disabled, can stay at home with autonomy and dignity. This is Lotus. Very cool. Well, so man. how do you install the sensors? If for I may. Sure. Yeah, please. And so these are the rings. This is an existing wall switch. Uh -huh. You can attach a switch cover like this magnetically. Yeah. So step one, you put on the ring. There's a little button up yep. here. And so all you do is that. That's super cool. Step two, snap on. Step three, point and click. Like and that's it. I'll pass this on. Clever. Do you have to charge the ring? Yeah. So the nice thing about this technology is as opposed to Internet of Things, you have to be connected to the network all the time, which is why it draws power all the time. With infrared, it's like your TV remote. It's only drawing power for the 50 milliseconds that you push the button. Uh -huh. And so instead of yeah. charging it every day like an Apple Watch or every three days like an Aura Ring, you only need to charge once every 90 days. So one ring... To rule Talk them to all. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the ring will be connected to all the devices like this, which can be connected to the television or to the light switch or to, I mean, you name it, the fan. Correct. And so a house would have this all throughout any room that they want, and it's simply a point and click. Correct. And it's going to adjust each So note. in our pack, yeah. we're planning on giving one ring and four switches okay. for the same price that you get an Amazon Echo show today. In your user interviews, what's the perspective on wearing the ring constantly versus making it something that's kind of like a television remote? To level with you, I originally thought this was a stupid idea. The bar at Apple is, does your device deserve to exist? So we interviewed people for nine months. These are detailed interviews, nine hours long over three days. And we didn't tell them about the idea until the very last hour. And so in the first eight hours, we would ask them, what types of devices do you use today? There were three pieces of feedback we got. One, we don't tend to wear watches, mm -hmm. and we certainly don't wear it at night. Mm -hmm. Either yeah. because we have to charge it or we take it out out of habit or, and this is true, it gets caught in my significant other's hair. Hmm. It's a real, okay. real comment. And so people don't wear it at night, which is a problem because you're in this catch-22 at night. So in a typical situation, either you have to turn off the light switch and then in the dark you're walking to your bed or vice versa, where if you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you're looking for the light switch in the dark. Hmm. And for older adults, one third of all faults happen in that situation. Hmm. So if all the ring did was only do lights and nothing else, we would still eliminate one-third of falls in 33% of older adults, mm. which is why our one of our B2B segments is actually senior living. Because if anyone falls in the facility, they get fined by the state, they get sued by the family, wow. and they get dinged on their star rating by CMS, by Medicare and Medicaid, so their reimbursement rates drop. Mm. So it's a big problem for them. So on the B2B side, you're targeting retirement homes and the value prop to them is, hey, we'll install this ring in all of your rooms, thereby reducing your risk of falling and failure by some Correct. dramatic percentage. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid watching TV, there was this ad for, you know, clap on, clap off. Really clap yeah. But it, I never knew anybody who had it. Yeah. What do you think is wrong with that product? Too many false positives is the shortest answer, which is any noise would set it off. Oh. Any noise. I actually bought one once. Oh, I'm yeah. You. Yeah, I totally <laughs> bought one. It didn't. It just didn't work well. And then you would try to, you would clap and it wouldn't hear it. 
It's not good. Yeah. So, so it just like doesn't work. It well. just did not. Function it doesn't work well. well. The other problem is it's only for plug-in appliances. The biggest problem with the HTEC category as products is the end user doesn't want them. Nobody wants to use diapers. Nobody wants to wear a life alert. They do it out of need, but nobody wants to. The benefit here is, and we've been told this directly from our end users, they just like it. It gives them more agency, more autonomy, more independence, which is really dignity is all they want. What can be learned from a company like Aura, right, that has tried this form factor? They've done all right. I think yeah. it maybe has tapered off a little bit. Yeah. No one here is wearing an Aura ring. Yeah. Uh, what are your lessons learned from a company like that? Two or three. <clears throat> Do you have an Aura? No, just okay, a bit. Okay. Okay. okay, right. Um, a couple of lessons. One, I think the hardest problem that Aura's had is that it's a little bit of a vitamin and not a painkiller per se, sure. because it's preventive health. Mm -hmm. The second, their price point is really high. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is going direct to consumer is very, very difficult. There were about 30 other companies that tried doing something similar or as the only survivor because all of them tried to go direct to consumer. And so that's why B2B2C is great. It's a one-stop shop that ends up with a lot of consumers. You coming from Apple, like the big question in a lot of these other spaces is, but why couldn't Apple just do this from the watch, right? Yeah. Why aren't they getting into this space? Yeah, there's sort of three moats, if you will. Lowest hanging fruit, I'll say table stakes, is just patents. The second is the first mover advantage. You actually want to move into the space early because those people do not, even when new products come out, they don't change. And the third is the secret sauce where it's not trivial to figure out the infrared beam intensity that is strong enough to get long range, but not so strong that you get false reflections in the same room. It's not an impossible task, but it's not trivial. Yeah, especially if you're in a room where maybe you have multiple switches. Oh, yeah, which is every room. I mean, that would be an interesting yeah. test yeah, in this so, room. I mean, the, the way to, one way to test it is to basically point right. in other directions. Not and if there were reflections, it would actually yeah. turn, turn yeah, it on. Right, huh. right, mm -hmm. yeah. And can you talk a little bit about your 14 pilots? What yeah. is the nature of them? Are they paying you? Who so the are they? bulk of them are paid. The largest one is Veterans Affairs. The second is the state of New York. They actually want 10,000 units, but we have 10. Mm. And so we're really early stage. They're planning on paying for somewhere between 50 and 100 pilot devices. And then they want to put a pre-order for 10,000 units. Um, and then the remaining ones are a combination of disability organizations all throughout the country and senior living organizations all throughout the country. Those are the 14. But it sounds like they are not yet signed or where are you in that process? So we have one signed customer. Actually, they've even given us a 50% deposit. Mm -hmm. And so we have some booked revenue, but primarily we're pre-product, pre-revenue. I see. How much was that for? This particular customer that I'm talking about was 20 units, $300 a pack, so six grand. And so they paid us 50% upfront, so three grand. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, I'm, I feel like we're trying to understand it. where are they really right now? Like in terms of pilots, I feel like the answer is zero. Yeah, the, so we haven't started any pilots yet. Like I said, we have 10 units. Okay, so zero deployed, zero pilots. But I feel like at times you're talking about like it already is happening. Uh, no, so yeah, it's I should already... say they've given us verbal commitments for these, but the clear answer is no pilots have begun. Mm -hmm. In fact, we don't want them to start for another two months until we have done testing, finished testing mm -hmm. all of these 10 devices. And uh, as the... sort of a piece of feedback for you, when you mm -hmm. came and you said you had 14 pilots, I think... The nuance I would say is we have 14 verbal commitments on pilots. Oh, got yeah. it. Got or just 14 in our pipeline. Got it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I think verbal stuff. commitments are something. Yeah. Um, but it's but not signed. They haven't spent money and you're not working with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. I appreciate that feedback. I, my apologies. Oh, good.
We've invested in three different connected hardware companies. I think like one of the challenges that we've seen across them is like manufacturing and supply chain. I'd be curious to understand more about how you're thinking from about going from 10 to 10,000 to like 100,000 devices. Yeah, actually, that, that's the part that concerns me least. That's actually all I did at Apple. And so we have consistent supply chains both here locally. So the plan is if we're building less than 1,000, we'll do here locally. Okay. Then we plan to do either Mexico or Philippines. And then for 10,000 units or more, we do China. And oh. so that's that's actually our supply chain right now. Timing is about a month and a half. So is it a month and a half to build a full unit? No, no, to, to go from complete design on paper to end units in hand. That's pretty fast. Yeah, it's relatively small. Yeah. What's the cost profile? So one unit and four switches, we think we're going to retail for 270 Okay. At that price point, if we only built 1,000 units, our gross margin is 64%. And if we build 10,000 units, which is actually what the state of New York wants, it's 75%. And the higher you go, the more economies of scale you get. Essentially, because we're using old technology in a new way, and we joke about this all the time, it's pretty inexpensive, small, and power efficient. Can you unpack for a moment the nature of the round? So $2 million you're raising, valuation, and then what are the milestones you want to accomplish? Yeah, basically, we want to go from prototype to product in market. So we can, the biggest thing that's holding back right now, all these customers usually assume that it's ready and available and they want to buy in bulk, which I can't do. And so the 2 million split breaks down into 1.2 for salaries for 24 months, 0.5 for the actual builds, meaning the hardware cycles, and then a little bit buffer just time in case something else happens. Do you have any of that committed already? Or are you yeah, opening so, around now? Yeah, the total we've raised to date is 425. Um, in this specific round, in just the past couple of weeks, we raised 225K. Okay. That, that money was an offer that we got that came in at a 14 million post-money valuation cap. Having said that, I'm flexible on terms. That's great. So I'm really impressed with your control of this business. I, I really like it. Um, it's going to be too early for us. We want to see a little bit more progress on the product. I really want to stay in touch. So it's a no for us today. I think when you do go to market, this could catch on like wildfire and when there's another round that might be interesting for us. But for today, it's going to be a pass. Thank you. So that's one pass. No surprise there. Hardware is, say it with me, hard. hard. When we come back, Duvall tries to ring the rest of them. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to the Moonshot Pitch. Here's Paige with a zinger, or in this case, a ringer. What keeps you up at night as a founder? Yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the reason I'm here. It's actually all the skills you have that I don't have. And I mean that in a very real way. I actually keep waking up in the middle of the night for that reason. I know the engineering really well. And so, yeah, sure, everything's not perfectly figured out, but these are all solvable problems, and I've done that for over a decade. The engineering doesn't keep me up. It's where I would say I don't have expertise, so I'm not sort of gifted in sales like you, Charles, or with marketing like you, Paige, in the hardware and software, given your own background, Elizabeth. But 
those are the skills that I don't have. And I would love to not just get capital, but intellectual capital. So I know how to deploy the capital well, most efficiently. And so that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. That and the actual capital where I, you know, we've been working together for close to a year, not doing right by my team does keep me up at right. Where at some point, if any one of them gets sick, no one's getting paid right now. And so I want to, I want to make sure they can keep their lights on. Can you talk more about what you did at Apple and your other co-founding team? Yeah, yeah. I worked on everything from the trackpads on the laptops to 3D touch on the phones to then finally managing an organization for wireless charging for iPhone watch, AirPods, and some special oh. projects. So my specialty, I would say, is sensing, haptics, and power. And do you have co-founders? Um, no. So it's just me right now, but the founding team, the first engineer, ex-Amazon, ex-Blackberry, he's a PD engineer, mechanical engineer, um, our head of disability, she's deafblind herself. So sales, this person used to actually do biz dev for the New Yorker magazine. Uh, for marketing, we actually have a person, Natalie, she's actually a copywriter by trade. And so she's been helping with the marketing. We doubled our team size since we got into Techstars. So now we're seven full-time people, 12 total. Is there any way to get to meaningful revenue on the $2 million without a big lumpy contract like NYC? A lot of senior living. So then it would be a trench strategy which is basically you go to each one of the organizations. Like right now, we're, we're working with one of the partners is United Church Homes. There's the second largest senior living organization in the country. And so you pilot with one, then they actually want it everywhere in their own facility. Right. So in fact, for United Church Homes specifically, they want me to come down, live there in person, and actually run the pilot with, with them in person, mm. which is great. Uh, I'm impressed by you technically. Uh, I'm seeing a complete lack of the other side of kind of the founding team who knows how to sell a government, sell to Medicare. Like these are big, complex things that I think it'd behoove you to have, not just a hire who's who's done sales like at a magazine, but someone big level who's done this before. But I haven't seen that you've even tried to attract that talent yet from any level. So uh, for now, I'm out without more experience uh, relevant to the space. Got it. Thank you. So I really think this is super clever. I love your hustle in, and strategy also in who to go after. I think you're spot on about thinking about no D to C and even within your B2B contracts, which ones are interesting and, and which ones are not. Um, I think the valuation is a bit pricey. Mm -hmm. I, I think the 14 is too frothy for this business model and where you are. It's also not software, which is out of our thesis, but you, you know, theses often make exceptions. I'd be willing to go in at 50K, but I think we're looking at like six mil post on a safe. Got it. Just to piggyback on what Elizabeth said, we do a lot of hardware and I don't know why, it always seems to take $7 million to get to a commercial product. We have a next gen Walker company that it seems, I don't know why, it seems to take $7 million and it always seems, and sometimes it's technology complexity. And sometimes it's actually the go-to-market piece just takes longer and, and figuring out who's going to pay and how much. So I always assume that there's going to be, at a minimum, two seed rounds for a hardware company to actually get to a place where there's meaningful traction. And like Elizabeth, the, the 14 million number doesn't work for me uh, with, the, with the expectation that there will be another seed round. And there has to be some room between the today price and the future price. So I'm out on the current terms but I would be open to revisiting it at some point in the future if the, the terms are lower and I have a better sense of the pipeline. Just out of curiosity, yeah. if we took away that hurdle and we went with yeah. Elizabeth's, would you be open? I, the thing I'd want to have 
a bit more clarity on just in a world where New York City doesn't come through, how how much legwork is required to go through these other channels? And I I don't know that I, I don't think I have enough clarity on that today. Got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I agree with both what Elizabeth and Charles have said. I've had experience investing in hardware companies, and I feel like they're often some of my favorite companies to invest in. Um, I think some of the things that are interesting in this is it's a painkiller. It's not a vitamin. And I think that what I've seen work well is painkiller hardware. I'd be interested in putting in 150 at a six-mile post with Elizabeth. Got it. Thank you. Um, if I can um, respectfully counter, we when we came into Stars, we came in at six. Mm-hmm. Would it be okay if I asked for eight? The big changes that happened in the past three months, we basically doubled our team size, we built our first prototypes, and we got at least verbal commitments. Yeah, I think your initial pricing was a little frothy. So I, I understand, you know, you've obviously progressed a lot over the last few months or so, but I, I would be out at eight. Yeah. Got it. I think it would, for me, make sense at eight if you had 14 pilots, but... I don't think it makes sense for me at eight with the verbal commitments. Got it. So for that reason, I'm out. Well, for me, it was the valuation cap was never as important. It was always more important to help the people and do it faster with the right intellectuals. So I'm happy to accept at the six. Yeah, cool. Glad to do this. All thank right. you. Can I shake your hand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's cool. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank well, you. Well done. Yes, I have, oh, I yeah. have a ring as well. Oh, yeah, we've all got hardware to get back to. <laughs> There's only 10 of them. We yeah. <laughs> thank you. That's great. Congrats. Yeah, first deal. You guys are in the yeah. ring business yeah. now. Let's there go. go. <laughs> That's great. All right. <laughs> hmm. I was. I, were you surprised that he took it at six? No. Hmm? No, not thirty days after TechStars. I feel like you're still on that round. You should take all the money you can right now as a hardware yeah. company. Yeah. yeah. Did we just get you to make an off thesis investment? Yes. Nice. Woo! Yes. Do you feel good about that? Does that make you feel nervous? No, it doesn't make me feel nervous. <laughs> I think there are real gems in these areas where people categorically pass. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. This category, no one will love for a whole variety of reasons. It's hardware. It's very early. From it's a old technology. Game. It's old technology. There's no Wi-Fi, not even Bluetooth. And yeah. the thing that's going for him is his background. Mm-hmm. So he knows how to ship a product. Um, they've done a lot of form factor user testing. And then they seem to have had some hustle in conversations and mm-hmm. like, you know, having people try this. That's yeah. where it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so too. Well, I feel like I think about investing like specifically in founders on like three different axes. So the first is like, are they a good storyteller? He's a really great storyteller. Mm-hmm. He came in, had super crisp pitch. Um, the second is like a strong mission. And then the third is execution velocity, which is like, how, how thoughtfully can they set direction? And then how quickly can they execute on it? I think he had those like 14 pilot conversations in the last 30 days, which was really impressive. Something I don't know if I heard him say in the pitch he said, like, when you design for people with disabilities, you end up designing things that are super easy for anyone to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's his whole mission. He's just like, mm-hmm. we're going to design for these people first, but we think it's going to be something that everyone will want to use just because it's so yeah. simple. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. I mean, that was one I was like, oh, man, this is risky. It's hardware. 
but I felt like there was something there. So he was super impressive. Yeah, he yeah. was. He did yeah. great. Come That's on. a wrap. Are we on a break or are we back at it? Against all odds, Duvall raised two hundred thousand on the pitch show. But did these commitments actually turn into cold hard cash for some cold hard wear? A month later, we called up Duvall to find out. Duvall, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? As long as you're good, we're good. Actually, before we get into what happened after your pitch, I'm curious, like, what's it been like for you fundraising for a hardware company? It's been difficult. I mean, it's my first time fundraising. And as a first time founder, there's a lot of doubt. You hear a lot of questions. You sort of go in mentally prepared, knowing that you're going to see a lot of rejection. But it's one thing to know about it and one thing to experience it. You know, it's like reading about the cold versus being in the cold. It bites <laughs> a lot more when you're experiencing it. Despite the bitter cold, Duvall did get commitments from both Elizabeth and Paige on our show. A few weeks after that, he got on calls with both of them. And there was still one thing they needed to clear up. I just wanted to have clarity in terms of where you're at with, like, pilots. We have five signed LOIs and five verbal commitments, and then another 12 in the pipeline. We're three months away from the first pilot and nine months from launch. I, I think I just want to clarify, you know, again, I think I'm having trouble wrapping my head around what's paid and what's not. So the biggest paid ones are Veterans Affairs is paid, New York State is paid, but they haven't finished signing yet. They're looking for somewhere in the order of a $15,000 pilot, but they want a discount. So you're a Delaware C-Corp, right? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm ready to sign the paperwork and wire. We can get the wire out this week even. Got it. Thank you. Please email me with the, the documents. I'll get those reviewed and signed ASAP and then the wiring instructions as well so we can get that ball rolling. Okay, perfect. Will do. How was that? It was really quick. I, w- I was pleasantly surprised. Wow. Just like that, wired the funds. Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. I, w- I wish all investors were like the ones on the pitch. Really, truly. <laughs> so I have to say, Duvall, going into this recording event, your pitch was one of the ones I was most like excited about, but also felt like it was a Hail Mary because it's hardware yep. and it's just hard to raise money for hardware companies. But now in retrospect, your deal has gone through faster than any other deal at the recording event. Like this thing went off more smooth than any other pitch at this season. So well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank I, I have to say, I don't even disagree with you. I, I flew down assuming that nothing would happen. I mean, it's hardware. The chances are really slim. But despite all that, as of right now, as of this moment, we are oversubscribed. Whoa. The reason I'm sharing this is a month ago, I had trouble sleeping because I wasn't even sure the round would close. Now we're well oversubscribed. And so it's a very weird, odd feeling. Why do you think that is? Why is the fundraise going so well? The only theory I have, and this is more in line with what other founders have told me, is fundraising is a nonlinear function. It is sort of like a hockey puck graph where initially for the first weeks or months, it doesn't feel like much is happening or things are happening, but very, very slowly. But funnily enough, when you get towards the end, everyone wants to jump in all at the same time. And that's exactly what happened for the past one week. 
I've been getting a commitment every day, one check a day. And the check sizes have been increasing in size, not decreasing. Did you change anything about your approach during the process? Yes. I spoke to another founder and he told me what he does. Anytime anything good happens, send out an email blast. Can be two lines, but send it out to all the investors that are on the fence. I think I started getting these from you. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of hesitating pinging investors on a regular basis. You, know, you get tons of email as it is. But he said, nope, just suck it up. And, you know, it can be short. It can be one line, but just yeah. send it. Oh, what you sent via email seemed like it was like a text message. You were just like, yo, I closed another investor. You know, two more investors in 48 hours. Then I got another one on Monday that was like... 72 hours later, we got another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what was going on, but it did give me the feeling. I was like, well, shoot, is the pitch fund going to be able to invest in this? Or did it like, did it move that fast and leave us behind? That's exactly right. I think a lot more people felt that way because I started getting inbound requests, including from an investor that had been on the fence for months. I have a question for you. Can, is there room... For us to, could you actually hold 150K for the pitch fund? Oof. So you know you've already got 50K out of the fund. Yeah. But what we like to do for pitches like this is we like to open it up to listeners who want to invest as they listen to the show. Right. So what do you think? Um, I never thought I would be in the position where we'd be oversubscribed. Um, unlikely is the honest answer, given what the situation right now is. Yeah, I understand. I understand. This is great. What a great problem to have for you. We're so happy for you. You for sure got, you know, 50K out of the fund and we can wire those funds here in the next week. Thank you. So when's the date when you get to start paying your employees? The, the idea is I'm still going to pay them for the month of July. That was the original target. So we're going to back pay them for the past three weeks or so. So yeah, the first check I think is going to go out maybe August 1st. We're we don't have payroll set up, so that's the thing we're doing right now. <laughs> it's getting real, Duvall. It's getting very real. I mean, I know you've been working on it for a very long time, and it's probably felt real before, but like when you get to actually pay your employees for the first time, that's going to feel awesome, I think. Oh, it already feels great. I mean, I've been sleeping a lot better for the past week. <sighs> Listeners, I tried to get you allocation on this one. I really did. I'm sorry. I learned that we have to negotiate these things up front. I'll do that next time. The pitch fund got in though. It's our first hardware deal. We caught the hardware Hail Mary. Now I'm doing my end zone dance. You can't see my end zone dance, but know that it's very cool. If you want to hear more of Duvall's backstory, subscribe to The Pitch Insider. New stories come out on Fridays and feature a deep dive on that week's founder. Subscribe at pitch.show insider. Next week, The Pitch is in its true crime era. You could be the murderer and putting in misinformation. <laughs> I would if yeah. I was the murderer. Are you interested I, I, in true crime? Is this a thing that... It's very weird and it's a longer story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not a murderer. That's next week in The Pitch Room. And if you want to watch the show, check out our YouTube channel at The Pitch Show. See you next Wednesday.
Applications are open for next season of The Pitch. We're going to be in Miami this time. There will be 18 startups and a ton of really great investors. So if you or someone you know is raising pre-seed or seed, go apply at pitch.show slash apply. If you've applied before, go ahead and apply again. See you in Miami in January. This episode was made by me, Josh Muccio, Lisa Muccio, Carrie Ann Thomas, Anna Ladd, and Enoch Kim, with casting help from Peter Liu. Music in today's show is from Imagined Nostalgia, Anders, Kevin J. Smith, Breakmaster Cylinder, and The Muse Maker. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you're enjoying the podcast, we've actually set up a special URL to make it super easy to share with a friend. It's pitch.show slash text. Try it out, pitch.show slash text. And if you want to listen to the pitch ad-free, subscribe to Pitch Plus. You'll also get occasional bonus content. Plus, it's a really good way to support the show. Just go to pitch.show slash plus to learn more. The pitch is made in partnership with the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Pitch, Inc. and their respective employees and affiliates do not provide investment advice or make investment recommendations. The information provided on this show should not be used as the basis for making investment decisions. Listeners should conduct their own research and consult with their own investment advisors before making any investment decisions. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.